sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. And grace to you in Jesus Christ our Lord. How many books have been written on the topic of prayer? Well, I did a search on Amazon under books and came up with 70,000. In fact, it wasn't just 70,000. It was over 70,000. How many books have been written on prayer? All Christians want to know how to pray. It's the most basic, fundamental practice of being a Christian. So we want to know how to pray. We want to know what to say, when to say it, how long to say it, and what does it do? Why do we do it? The disciples were no different. They were asking the very same questions in their day. And they asked Jesus, in fact, how should we pray? How will the Lord answer them? Prayer is like any other of the basic learned skills. What Jesus does is show them that just like any other art, it's going to take practice. It's It's going to take real life experience to learn what this means to pray, and it's not simply going to be learned in a book. In fact, if I were learning a craft, like let's say woodworking, and I had little to no experience, would I be able to properly master and grow in my woodworking skills simply by reading a book and then thinking I can go and do it? My family likes to watch This Old House. There's one of those channels we save on our TV that we can flip to between that and the cooking channel. And in This Old House, they are remodeling and renovating old houses and making them look like new. And one of the things that they advertise is a program called Generation Next. It's part of an apprenticeship program where you can learn from the masters to learn these trades, make them part of your life. And they'll even advertise ways you can get grants and scholarships toward education that'll improve the workforce in different trades and crafts and artistry. But with that, an apprenticeship is going to show you it's more than just what's in a book. Being trained in a trade or craft requires hands-on experience a mentor, a master. It's not something that can just be memorized or read or even just done by watching others. You have to do it yourself. The way we learn from the time we're little on up to big is by doing along with listening. We watch, we repeat, and we join to make it our own. A mentor, if he's worth his salt, will get an apprentice into the hands-on activities, and that's exactly how Jesus answers their question. When they say, teach us to pray, they don't say exactly teach us how, or what, or when, or where, or why. They just say, teach us to pray, which includes all of the above, and this is what Jesus does. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is teaching us to pray, and we'll see he teaches us in three ways, to pray proactively, to pray reactively, and to pray Jesus actively. Proactively means to learn the structure, to learn the theory, to learn the words, and to practice it. So how can we be proactive in learning how to pray? and not just reactive. The disciples here are on a journey. They're traveling from place to place with their camping gear on their backs, looking and relying on other faithful people to bring them in, give them housing, give them food, give them shelter along their journey. It's teaching us how important it is to be prepared. Jesus is walking them through what they need to know to be equipped. Because if you were to go on a trip like this, many of us wouldn't last very long, for one thing. But you would need to know exactly the minimum amount that you can carry and bring with you to survive. What are you going to take on your camping trip if you're going backpacking up into the mountains? You need to be equipped just like the disciples needed to be equipped on their journey. And that journey is about faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, this is what you need. Put on the armor of God. And he lists all the elements of the armor of God and how it is part of our daily prayer life and battle against the evil that is coming after us in order to stand against it. Those are the things that we are looking to proactively be equipped with before we face the trial, the battle, the starving time in the wilderness. 
So Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus is telling us the certain essentials of prayer that only your dad can provide. Only your dad can provide what is truly essential. And what is truly essential has to do with family. Jesus shows us how he prays. And when he prays, he is looking to his dad. The one who is in charge of the house. The one who supplies the food and the shelter, and the clothing, and everything that he needs. He knows it's his heavenly Father. So he, when he teaches us to pray, gives us his prayer, the Lord's prayer, the Lord Jesus' own prayer that he prays when he goes away up onto a mountain, and we don't hear anything about what he's saying, and he's in silence and solitude, just like he is at the beginning of our text, praying in a certain place. These are the things he's thinking about. His father, his name, his kingdom. Now, repetition is important. In fact, memorizing from little on is essentially important to us maintaining and retaining what the Bible is saying, what the teachings are, so that when we get old... And maybe our eyesight is going, maybe other parts are going. We still have that in our heart, what we've memorized as a child. The Lord's Prayer, I will tell you, is one of the last things, if a person's mind has lost everything else, that you can always go back to. And if this is done something they've practiced from little on, even to old age, even in the midst of dementia, you will have people who remember how to pray the Lord's Prayer with you. That's a special thing, and Jesus is showing us that the repetition and memorization is important, but we should not be mistaken to think that that's everything. In fact, we're seeing in Luke that memorizing the Lord's Prayer isn't what we thought it was, because we've memorized the Lord's Prayer, and we know how it goes, and Jesus got it wrong. Did you notice that? He got it wrong. He left out at least three or four petitions. Did he realize he was doing this, or was it Luke's mistake when he wrote it down? You might have noticed things are different. We don't memorize the Lord's Prayer for the sake of exactly repeating the words over and over and over. Jesus warns against vain repetition. In fact, if we wanted to do that accurately, we'd need to know Greek or Aramaic so we could say it in Jesus' original language. But beyond repetition, Jesus is showing us here a variation from Matthew's. And in Matthew, he records the Lord's Prayer one way, and here Jesus prays it a different way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer in the way we traditionally know it, that comes out of the King James Version. And here in Luke, he prays it another way, leaves out certain petitions, changes some of the wording, 
It shows us that what's more important than the exact repetition of the wording is what it means. Almost as if to get you to stop and say, wait a second, you missed a part. So we would look more closely at what it's saying. It gives us the structure, it gives us the symbols, but it's teaching us to go deeper, to learn what the name of the Father means when we pray, hallowed be thy name, and to learn what kingdom means when we pray, your kingdom comes, and to learn what bread means when we only pray for one day's worth, to learn what forgiveness means when we've got bitterness in our heart against someone else and we're trying to pray. To learn what temptation means so that we are praying and not being overcome by the evil one. And so in these petitions here, Jesus is proactively showing us how to prepare. When the trial comes, when the questions arise, when we need answers, to use each of these petitions in order to take us into God's presence and hear the things that Jesus is saying and praying about. Now, I could do a whole sermon series, probably five or six or seven on each petition of the Lord's Prayer, but there's a second part to this text that maybe we are not as familiar with to tie in with the Lord's Prayer, and that is Jesus also shows us prayer is reactive. In addition to proactively learning and memorizing and growing in your book book knowledge, there's also going out into battle. There's facing the devil. There is unexpected things that are going to come up in your life. How are you going to answer them? Life happens. Perhaps you're preparing for a meal. And because you're a proactive Christian, you've prepared a list of groceries before you go to the store and you're going to go there and make sure you have all the ingredients and everything is prepared because then you're going to come back home, you're going to cook a wonderful meal, you're going to sit down with your family, you're going to eat together, and then you're going to go to bed. But somewhere in the middle of all the proactive things you've planned for your day, something unexpected happens. Because when you're at the store, a friend runs into you, a friend that you haven't seen in a while, And you ask her, how are you doing? She breaks down crying. She tells you that her daughter just told her that she's bisexual. And she doesn't know what to do. She's looking at you. Now, was that on your meal list? Was that in your preparations to go to the store, anticipating a friend laying this bomb? And there you are, having no idea what to say. Because did you wake up that morning and part of your preparation for the store was to read the catechism? And to see what it says about being bisexual and how to answer this question? Because I'll tell you, it's not in the catechism. And you don't know what to say. Jesus tells a parable. It says that there is a friend who's come to you on a journey, and in the middle of the night, completely unexpected, you're unprepared, this friend stops in. Now, in the ancient world, there were no hotels. 
And even if there were inns, you might not be the type that could afford it. You relied totally on the hospitality of people you know, connections in your social circles, in order to supply your needs when you're on a journey like this. And your friend has come to you. Your friend has come to you for help. And your friend has asked for something that you don't have to give them. So there you are, caught off guard, looking at your friend. Your friend is looking at you, and you have nothing to give them. You have no answers. You have no resources. You have no bread in the parable. And so what do you do? Well, you go to someone else. There's a chain of helping. And so you go to your neighbor, a friend down the road that you know will have what you need. And you knock on their door or your phone rings. More practically, your phone rings in the middle of the night. And there's that person saying, I need help. Now, maybe your phone dings first. And you're sleeping. You forgot to put it on silence. And you say, oh, man. I don't want to hear what nonsense somebody is texting me about at 3 in the morning, so you ignore it. And maybe you shut off the ringer so you don't hear anything more, but then you hear it vibrating. And you're kind of awake enough to know something's going on, and then it vibrates again, and you think, oh, man, this person is probably uh, one of these prank calls or one of these salespeople or something overseas that's calling me. But you finally look at the number, and there it is. Somebody you know, somebody your best friend, somebody you've known your whole life calling you. Now Jesus says, in a matter of emphasis, which one of you, if you had a friend call you at 2 in the morning, this is a friend you've known your whole life, would not answer the phone. So he's overemphasizing the fact that a friend would answer the door to be hospitable to you in the middle of the night. But even suppose he doesn't, because maybe he's not as good a friend as you thought, even if he doesn't answer the phone because of your persistence, because you called three times and he's tired of being woken up and thinking and now he can't sleep, yes, because of your persistence, he answers the phone. How much more will your heavenly father answer the door? When you ask, when you seek, when you knock, when you keep on asking, when you keep on seeking, when you keep on knocking, how much more is he going to answer? Does he want to answer? But in the process, does he want to teach you something about patience and faith? These reactive moments are the times when the preparation of knowing the Lord's Prayer is right there for us. The structure of thinking about, well, how can I answer my friend's problem when I don't know what to say, but you remember, hallowed be thy name. How does that affect the question you're dealing with? Or when you think about God's kingdom coming, and Jesus is king, and Jesus is Lord, and he's ruling and taking care of everything, and he's with you. How will you think about thy will be done? The Lord's Prayer gives us that structure, that background, so we can bring it into these moments 
of reaction and difficult situation. Because how much more will your Heavenly Father give what you need in those situations? It begins with friendship, it ends with family. And it deepens us even more when it says, which one of you as a father and your child is coming to you at dinner time to eat are going to give them a snake or a scorpion, are going to poison their food? Now, if even the evil fathers in this world still will give their kids supper, how much more is your heavenly father going to give you what you need? And what do you need most of all in those situations? How much more, it says, verse 13, will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so it comes down to the most important question of all. What do you need in those situations? You need to pray Jesus actively. Proactive, reactively, which brings us then to Jesus actively, which is that Jesus is active. When the Holy Spirit comes into your prayer life, he connects heaven and earth so that The things we're praying for down here become also the things God is thinking about and praying about and talking about in heaven, as in earth, as it is on heaven. Prayer is heavenly, and it would be impossible for us to deal with any of this if Jesus was not involved, because Jesus makes the heavenly earthly. He makes it an earthly business to pray here among us in human flesh with his disciples to be alongside us. When we say, let us pray every service, we're talking about a community activity, that Jesus is part of this and we are all part of it. Notice that when Jesus teaches us his prayer, he doesn't put it in the singular person. He doesn't say, give me my daily bread so that I can have what is mine. He doesn't say me. He says our. He says this is our Father, which means Jesus' Father is your Father, and Jesus' family is your family, and we are all part of this. When we are praying for his name, for his kingdom, for bread, for forgiveness, and for deliverance and temptation, we're doing it together. There are people you might not even know who are praying at the same time you're praying. And because Jesus is a part of all of this, he's bringing it all together. He's working it all out according to his plans with the Father. And what could be a better friend to have in high places than the one who sits at the right hand of God? Jesus is there in the Father's house in the kingdom, working, in the throne room, so that when you are even alone in your closet, behind closed doors, on your knees, he's with you. Even when you're in the grocery store and wondering what you're going to say, he's with you. Even when your friend goes home without answers, your friend can still go home with Jesus.
When we don't have the resources to solve problems, because we don't, Jesus does, and he gives us the Holy Spirit as the greatest gift to intercede with groanings too deep for words. So, a good mentor knows how to meet you where you are, to show you the way, to show you how to go, and then also, not just to shove you out into the world, but to continue to walk with you. Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, is the best mentor because he knows exactly where you are. He meets you right where you're at right now. He doesn't expect you to be where somebody else is at in anybody else's lives or context or ability to pray. He meets you right where you are, and then he shows you the way. He teaches you what to pray, He tells you what it means, and then he walks it with you. Goes on the journey to respond with you through the Holy Spirit to all of those reactive situations. And we don't need 70,000 books to figure this out. We just need one. One book, one church, one Jesus. Amen.